0: Or their actions were evil. Well, good morning, church. It's the final week of Advent, week four. And the theme for it is love. And as you've heard the scripture read, and as you've participated in Advent these last four weeks, I just want to encourage you that the grace that Paul's about to talk about in the final piece of this letter is all about the power for you and I To engage in the love of God, to bridge the gap, to experience God's faithfulness in our own lives, to trust that he is moving us towards a future. And in the midst of everything, all the difficulty and the frustration and everything that you're experiencing right now, God wants to move you by the power of grace towards his love. And that's towards his love for you and that's towards his love through you and so I want to pray and begin um, basically our last teaching in the book of uh, the letter of Philippians let me pray Father thank you for this journey you've taken us on we've done our best to imagine to put ourselves in the feet uh, of the people of Philippi and hearing this letter of of paul god we're just grateful for all of the ways that it has challenged us it has uh, provoked us but god the the power to do anything about it comes from your grace your grace in our lives the power of your spirit to move us forward so god we cling to that this morning we pray these things in your name Amen. So the letter finishes right now, this morning. Paul says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are, who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The reality is most of us hate goodbyes. Goodbyes are not things we look forward to. Uh, We don't look forward to uh, saying goodbye to friends who move away or, or family when they visit. We don't like goodbyes. They're difficult, especially absolute final ones. Deathbed goodbyes. Painful. And so the reality is no one likes goodbyes, but here's the thing. This is a goodbye that I think will hopefully give you a huge amount of hope and a huge amount of trust in the fact that the gospel of Jesus is moving forward, no matter what. And Paul, remember, he's in prison. You guys know the drill. He's, He's writing this thank you letter, and he's in prison because he is announcing that Jesus is Lord, up against the fact that Caesar is Lord. And that doesn't mix well for the Roman Empire. and So Paul is in prison for this reason. And this letter that we're finishing today is really a letter of encouragement and hope and joy for the people of Philippi in the midst of the fact that Paul is in prison. He's thanking them for the gifts, but he is encouraging them to continue forward. So we're going to go line by line here. There's not many lines, so it won't take very long. But he starts off by saying, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. So it would have been normal for Paul to finish uh, this letter if it was written as a normal Greco-Roman letter. Uh, He would have been normal for him to finish it. um, Good luck and health to you. But he doesn't. Classic Paul. He He is deeply changed by Jesus. All throughout the letter is about his change and, and what Jesus has done in his life, this person of Jesus who is God incarnate, what, what God has done in his life. And, and so Paul starts off the letter, he says, Paul and Timothy slaves, okay, there's that word servants, but it's really slaves of Christ Jesus um, to all God's people in Philippi together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions Jesus three times. Slave to Jesus, to all the holy people in Jesus, and uh, peace to you from Jesus. It's, it's, it's his whole world is about Jesus. And then his, his magnum opus piece of this letter is live as citizens of the gospel of the King. No matter what happens, live as citizens of Jesus's kingdom. And so this pushes everything that he is saying. And and just by the way, I know that sometimes things get lost in our lives. We get kind of off track. Um, but when you start following Jesus, um, it changes everything. It's meant to change everything. Uh, that Jesus, over our our lives, and especially right at the beginning, we see this, Uh, our lives up against the kingdom of Jesus and how different it looks compared to what God wants us to be. And we begin to put everything under the lordship of Jesus. That means our our money, our time, our relationships, our sexuality, our pursuits, our dreams, our passions, all those things become under the, the kingdom of Jesus, so to speak. And and so, Paul in verse 21 says, greet all of God's people. And the word all here is an interesting word because it's actually not just in mass, greet all of God's people. Um, it actually me- means greet each individual person in Jesus, all of God's people. And the word, the phrase God's people, is a, a really uh, a way Paul loves to bring the whole. Uh, arc of scripture together into one, into one place. And he's trying to encourage them that you're part of God's people. You're part of Abraham. You're part of the Abrahamic covenant where, where God comes to Abraham and says, you will lead my people. You will be my people. You're the beginning of my people. And, and, and it's connected to this huge, bigger story. And according to Paul, The only way to be part of God's people is to be in Christ. And he uses the phrase in Christ all throughout all of his writings. I think it's like 130 times all throughout his writings he uses that phrase. And the idea of in Christ is that you and I surrender the locus of control of our lives to Christ that we become in Christ, in Christ, our movements are dictated, our life is found in Jesus, and, and that's the result, and more and more as we put our control, the control of our life into Jesus, and we live as if we are in Jesus, that's what begins to happen in our lives. And um, then this idea of a family, this idea of brothers and sisters. He says, "The brothers and sisters with me send their greetings." And um, and so he is he's talking about this in really family ways. That that each of you uh, like greet each other personally, like make it a a, a mission of yours um, to reach out and to greet each other and to hug and love and care for. Uh, people in your life, and and I think this is important, especially right now. That's why it's even if we're separated, if even if we're having to get on Zoom to see each other, it's important because uh, you matter and we matter and our relationship matters. And so Paul is just encouraging them. He's like, I'm far from you. Greet each of you, each other personally. And what happens next is probably one of the most unique things in all of Paul's letters. Um, And and it's it's definitely the most unique ending in all of Paul's letters. Check this out. It says, verse 22, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, for you and I, that probably, when you're just reading that, that probably just kind of blows by you. Um, it doesn't have the effect that I'm sure it happened. Remember, it's read out loud for the first time. They get to the end of this letter. They don't know it's coming. No one's reading ahead. And the reader is reading this, and he says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Like, like the, the people in Caesar's household are sending greetings through this letter to you. I mean, this had to be one of the most scandalous things that Paul has said. The Caesar, the one that is actually imprisoned Paul, the one who is persecuting in different pockets of the empire, Christians, people who follow Jesus, uh, the guy who you know throws Paul in prison, the guy who's making these... His household sends you greetings. Like... I think Paul does this on purpose. I think Paul waits to dump this news at the end of the letter. He mentions it a little bit at the beginning of the letter, we'll get into that here in a second, but he saves this mic drop for the end. And in order to get how shocking this little piece of the letter is, and how I think very encouraging this little piece of the letter is, we need five minutes of nerdery, okay? We need to understand what rome like a roman household structure looks like because it's totally different than our household structure so you and i are used to mom dad or mom or dad um and and we're used to kind of a a single family home or an apartment or whatever um and brothers and sisters or whatever and then and then like maybe some um uh, grandparents here and there Uh, that kind of a thing, kind of what they would call, what you and I would call the nuclear family. And I know that nuclear family has got um, got some center attack and people want that to go away and all that kind of stuff. But when we think of family as Americans, we think of mom, dad, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, things like that. Totally different in a Greco-Roman household. A Greco-Roman household um, included, okay, Uh, servants, slaves, clients, people that worked for the for the patriarch or the paterfamilia. Uh, And and so the male, the oldest of the household, was the paterfamilias. And he was in charge. His rule and reign kind of went down the pyramid of the structure of the family. Now uh, you might think that next in line was the wife um, or the matriarch. And in this case, Um, It's not the case. Um, And so what the structure of the family in the Roman world was um, the the wife was brought into the family, into the pyramid, but she was still attached to her father's household, even while married to her husband. And the reason for this was uh, to to keep from uh, wealthy and powerful families from merging, okay, like the king of France and the king of England marrying their kids, uh, from merging to create a super dynasty that would, in a sense, challenge the Caesar. Okay, and so, so what happened was it was the the patriarch. Okay, and then sons and daughters, and then underneath sons and daughters were clients or business people who worked for. Okay, the uh, the the patriarch, the, the pater familia, and then underneath the clients were freedmen, freedmen, and then underneath freedmen on the structure of the pyramid were slaves. Now, that was considered a household. Meaning everybody who worked for you, everybody who had your interest involved, Hi there. Hi. <laughs> everybody who had your interest involved, Um, were working for the household. And um, we just had a guest. That was like the first time everybody's heard me live right there. That just happened. And so um, in the ancient world, most slaves became freedmen over time, meaning that they were manumated. That was the word used, that you were manumated. You were freed, okay, from being a slave. And as a freedman, you weren't a free man. You were a freed man. Now, the difference is a free man was a Roman citizen. So if you were born a Roman citizen, you were free. Um, You did not have any obligations to anybody necessarily, but um, as a freed man, you could work, you could gain the trust of your paterfamilia, and, and you could become a client, meaning you could become somebody who pursued the interests of your Patriarch to uh, do business deals and to make money and to go into business and, and trade and things like that. So, um, it, so you were, if you were a freedman, you could work towards becoming a client, and then there was this beautiful patron-client relationship. And but if you were a slave, when you became a freedman, okay, and then became a client, you worked your way up the pyramid. Um, you could become actually one of the most powerful people in the Roman world. I mean, some of the most powerful people were clients of a patriarch. Now, if you were a client or a freedman and you had a child, that child was a Roman citizen. Your child would become a Roman citizen just merely by birth. So think about the upward mobility of all this. Now, some people, some scholars, some sociologists believe that we're up to 70% of the empire was in some sort of a structure of servitude or slavery. That's how the system worked. So, nerdery over, when Paul says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, He is announcing in a clever way, okay, that there are members of a highly influential Roman household who have come to follow Jesus, Caesar's household, and the gospel of Jesus has penetrated the very heart of the empire. Remember, um, this is a scandalous thing to write on paper and send out of prison Um, on an 800-mile journey to a Roman colony. This is all he could say. And this was scandalous enough, especially those of Caesar's household. The gospel of Jesus uh, had penetrated the heart of an empire that is hostile to the gospel. And, and, And it put Paul in prison. And in an attempt to suppress a competing message of who is Lord, it sneaks in the very back door. This is incredible. It it would be like, similar to um, a concentration camp, uh, a a letter coming to the Jewish people in a concentration camp that says, oh, and by the way, uh, Hitler's guards say hello. I mean, you'd be like, what? And this has a huge ripple effect in this society because we think This is what's amazing. Back to the beginning of the letter. I think it's verse, yeah, verse 13 of chapter 1. As a result, Paul says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Meaning, we think it began with the Praetorian guard who's guarding Paul. That Paul is being guarded by Caesar's household. His servant guards his praetorian guards, and that these elite group of soldiers, they, they serve as, as Caesar's personal bodyguards, and they're, they're clients of Caesar. They are in Caesar's pyramid structure. Paul had exposure to them. Some of them come to faith, and the ramifications of this have a huge, massive, long-term ripple effect in the empire all the way out. So think about this. If you're a client of Caesar and you're a Roman guard, or if you're a freed man of Caesar and you're you're in his household, and you eventually have children born into free Roman citizenship who grow up with a father and mother who follow Jesus. And you fast forward history, actual history, from the moment that the Holy Spirit comes upon the, the followers of Jesus. The, and, and a few years later hits Paul on the road to Damascus. And this ripple effect begins and churches start. And, and Paul is going around and Peter and, and James and John and all the disciples fill up. And you can read the stories and Acts of the Apostles. And then finally Paul is in prison and, and the gospel penetrates into the household of Caesar, and you fast forward a few more years, a couple more hundred of years, and the, and this, and the Roman Empire is predominantly followers of Jesus. Now it's messy and and, and jacked up here and there. And, And we can argue about Constantine, who was the first emperor to claim allegiance to Jesus and the effects of that. And there's all, we can go on and on. But the point is the gospel finds a tiny hole in the heart of the empire and the explosion spreads. And Paul is notifying the people of Philippi that those in Caesar's household, who have an allegiance to Jesus, say hi. That's incredible. Never underestimate the gospel of Jesus to penetrate any heart, any culture, any city, any situation. Never underestimate it. Because remember when Paul says, whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Do you remember when Paul says that? Why? Because when you do, when you and I live as citizens of the gospel of the king, it makes its way into people's hearts all over the place. And we're seeing this. I mean, if you're paying attention to what's happening in the world, some incredible things happening in China, incredible things happening in Africa, and and the word and and the gospel is spreading and it's spreading because people are faithful and living and putting their lives at risk and living in, in joy and celebration of who Jesus is all over the world. God has reached into human history And his kingdom is spreading all over the world. That is Advent. That is what we celebrate, the coming of God to be with us, to rescue us, to save us. And and we get to celebrate that and live that. Because the gospel of Jesus can transform any person, any place, any time. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you agree with that? And if you agree with that and you believe that, are you living that? Now, now you may, may look at your own situation and you may have a family member that's stuck in addiction and has been stuck in addiction for years. And you're starting to lose hope. Or uh, maybe a child who's kind of veered off and gone their own way. Do you believe that the gospel can transform them? A parent who has grown older and older and more bitter in life. Do you believe the gospel can transform them? A coworker who antagonizes you over your beliefs, or uh, people you see over and over again in your life, but you've never even asked them their name. Do you think God can transform them? Do you think the gospel can make a difference? Can you think the gospel can move them to repentance? Do you think um, the person, the actual human being asking for money on the side of the road, can be touched by the gospel? Paul is in prison, celebrating in Jesus, encouraging and loving everyone as he writes this letter to, that, or, and, and everybody that he comes into contact with, talking about the hope he has in Jesus. And it is infectious. It is making its way into places no one would have believed. It is infecting Caesar's household. With the gospel. Paul's finishing line, look at this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Um, we remember early on in this series, we talked about grace. And remember, we talked about how I think as American Christians, we have a small view of grace. We think grace is God's Uh, Forgiving us of our sins without anything we've ever done to deserve it. And that's true. But it's not completely true. The word grace also has this idea of power. That it's God's power, God's enabling power within you and I to do things, to conquer things, to to bridge the gap in our lives. And Paul, Paul's life is all about Jesus. And so when he starts with grace and he ends with grace, he starts with Jesus, he ends with Jesus. Remember he says slaves of Jesus and then he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Um, we just have to ask ourselves a couple of questions as we hit the end of this letter. Just a couple questions. First, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus my king? I mean, it's possible to come to church, to listen to podcasts, and still not really be one of God's people. It's about surrender and repentance to Jesus. It's about entering the family of God, being adopted. And some of you might be listening to this or watching this and go, man, I just feel like I'm the impossible one. Like I may be too far gone. And some of you might be sitting there and just recognizing the fact that that you've gotten into trouble in the sense that because life has become about other things. That Jesus has been an addition to life and not a surrendered life. Life is about other things. The whole narrative arc of scripture is about Jesus. And it is possible for our lives to become more or less about other things careers, um, accumulation, upward mobility, uh, family, stuff going on around us, the loudest voices in our culture, it could be easy to have our lives be about those things. So the first question is, is Jesus truly your king, my king? The second question is, it's not really a question, it's actually really more of a statement. The gospel is powerful. Like, really powerful. Like, world-changing powerful. And it penetrated Caesar's household through the back door, through the prison door. And what is it to stop it? What is to stop the gospel from penetrating your school or your neighborhood or your family? Or the criminal justice system, or the healthcare industry, or the financial sector. What is to stop it? See, we don't need to guard the gospel. I just want to make sure that's so clear because in years past, and I think there's a lot of uh, Christian uh, culture uh, speak that talks about defending The gospel or guarding the gospel. We don't need to defend it. We don't need to guard it. We need to live it. We need to live it. We need to unleash the gospel in this city. Now, this letter of Paul has been an encouragement to do whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. It's like Paul saying, it's like, listen, This is why you're here. You're a colony of the king. You're a colony of Jesus. Your role is to heavenize, to to bring the gospel, the announcement, the royal announcement that Jesus is Lord to this world. Wherever you are. And he talks about that the fact that our stories, personal, our stories aren't over, that God is still at work in us. He mentioned this in the letter. He talks about the humility of Jesus and how we should have that same mindset with each other. That we're meant to shine like stars. That we're, we're meant to press on and at the same time stand firm. We talked about how we think. And listen, this has been 21 weeks talking about this letter. Talked about anxiety and joy and celebration and all these things. But when this video ends, what's going to change? What what happens to all of it? What changes in us? If there's going to be change in you and I, okay, it will be because of grace. It won't be because of. Um, legalistic, fundamentalist kind of moralism. It will be because of grace. If you want your life to change, if you want to think different, be humble, be generous, love others, announce the gospel, all those things will be because of grace. The empowering, it's the power of God in and through us. Now, I I want you to remember remember way back when we talked about grace, we were outside, and I shared with you my definition of grace, and I'm going to share it with you again, okay? The lavish, opulent, untamed, raw, scandalous blessing of God, unearned, undeserved, illogical, and disproportionate poured out through Christ over every facet of your life, and in the living presence of the Creator God deep inside of you, poured out through the Holy Spirit with limitless power to live out and up to God's calling in your life. That's grace. So to move forward as followers of Jesus, and to move forward as citizens of the gospel, we need grace. We need it. And and, and the question this morning is, where are you in need of God's grace? Maybe you're tired. You're just exhausted. You're weary. You're actually discouraged right now in your life. You're isolated. You're lonely. You're disoriented. Your family is kind of in drama. Your relationships aren't seeming to to click. um, You don't feel like you're making a difference. Where do you need God's grace? Name it. Name it with each other. Pray for each other. Pray over each other for this grace. For the power of God to work in you. The world is watching. Your kids are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your boss is watching. Where do you need grace? And so as you go, let me just pray this over you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.